Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady here with you on the air today, taking your calls and texts. I want to say welcome to all of those of you who are listening up and down the front range here in Colorado on Grace FM. Also, welcome to those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. I also want to give a big hello to everyone listening online. I know that there are so many of you who tune in from uh, different places around the country and maybe even around the world. So we're so glad to have you on the air with us uh, today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Just a little bit about myself. Uh, again, my name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I get to host this program here every Monday on Calvary Live. Um, I've really enjoyed taking your calls and texts on the air and getting to interact with everybody. So I'm looking forward to doing that again today. Um, I am the, Like I said, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church. It's a church in Longmont, Colorado. And um, we meet at uh, 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. Uh, it, we meet in the St. Vrain Memorial Building. It's right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park in Longmont. And so we'd love to have you come and check us out if you're in the area, if you're in Longmont or in the surrounding area, whether it's Lyons, Berthoud, uh down to Lafayette, Boulder, Erie, uh, Frederick, Firestone, the whole Carbon Valley area. We'd love to have you come check us out sometime if you are in the area. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings there at 700 Longspeak Avenue in Longmont. And our website, for those of you who want to check us out online, or you can go on there and download uh, all of our teachings and things like that. The website for that is whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me on the air um, every weekday at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time on Grace FM and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Hopefully you'll be in church at that time, but if you're on your way to church or you're, you're driving, you'll hear me at Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Grace FM. Our radio program is called Life in the Field. Right here at the beginning of the show, we always have a, a great time when it's a perfect time for you to call in if you want to get on the air, and we already have a one caller, so let's go ahead and talk to Grace in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Grace. Hi, uh, thank you for all that you do and for taking my call. Oh, good to talk to you. What's going on? I just have some questions. Um, I've been hearing a lot on the radio lately about Calvinism, and it sounds like an occult. What is Calvinism? Well, okay, first of all, I'll tell you, Calvinism is not uh, an occultish thing. So Calvinism is based on the teachings of John Calvin. John Calvin was one of the reformers, so about 500 years ago, a little bit less than 500 years ago, John Calvin was a reformer, meaning that he was part of a movement called the Reformation, which was a movement to reform the church, which at that time had become corrupted and had 
essentially taken the Bible out of the hands of the people. They had only allowed the Bible to be available in the Latin language in, in Western Europe and in the West. In the East, uh, you, you had a whole different situation with the Orthodox Church. But in the West, you had the Roman Catholic Church, and they had essentially taken the Bible out of the hands of the people. And so the Reformation was a movement of returning to the Bible and a movement of getting the Bible into the hands of the people and the reformers one of their things they wanted to do was they wanted to teach the word of God and you know if if there was a discrepancy between a, a tradition that was held in the church and what the word of God said they said you must always choose to go with the word of God so I we we should be very thankful in my opinion to the reformers uh, and what they did and what John Calvin specifically did is that he created a real systematic theology. And what a systematic theology means is that you answer the question, what does the Bible teach on this topic or that topic? You know, whatever that topic may be. And so John uh, Calvin did that. He wrote a large volume of work called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's still to this day considered, you know, a masterpiece of Protestant Reformed theology. Okay. Now, but generally when people refer to Calvinism, what they're referring to is the way that Calvin taught that a person is saved. So we would call this soteriology. It means how is a person saved? And it wasn't actually Calvin himself, but it was his followers, people who came after him, who took his teachings and boiled them down into five points, which they called the TULIP because it, it forms an acronym, mm -hmm. TULIP. So I'll walk you through what those five points of Calvinism are. The so five points of Calvinism, the T stands for total depravity. So it means that we as human beings are totally depraved, that there's, uh, so that we, we are totally fallen and we need God to save us, let's put it that way. The U stands for unconditional election. And what that means is that God elects people to salvation and he doesn't do it based on anything that they have done or earned. God chooses to elect them and then they uh, are elected and then because they are elected, they respond to him. The next one is limited atonement. And what that means is that Christ died for the elect. And I guess you could put it this way, that Christ's blood was sufficient for all, but effective for those whom God elected. Then you have the I, which is irresistible grace. And so grace means that when God calls somebody, God shows someone their, his grace, his, uh, his gift of salvation to them, that they will not resist it if they are elect. And then the final one is the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is that if you are saved, if you are elect, if God has put his love and grace on you, that you will be secure for eternity. Okay. So that's what those five points are. Now, I'm not sure what you've heard about them. Um, really, I would say definitely not a cult. I'll put it that way. Um, and there are a lot of churches that uh, hold these points and a lot of churches that would dispute these points. And... Um, I think that you could uh, argue many of these points. And uh, he definitely puts a big emphasis on God's sovereignty. And so that's okay. where people have pushed back against that and said, well, wait, wait, wait. What, what about the role of man in this? Is there such a thing as free will? You know, do I have a choice in the matter? Or is it kind of just that there's this robotic thing where, well, and to be clear, the Bible uses the word predestination. Uh -huh. So the word predestination is not a bad word. Bible also uses the word elect. So these aren't bad words. It's just a matter of how we understand them. And 
we must make sure that we never uh, diminish the importance of a person responding to God. So. Okay, because I was listening to something on the radio about Matt Slick uh, versus Will Dulphy or Duffy or something like that. And I guess Matt Slick was the Calvinism, and he was just giving a lot of points that weren't anything what you were talking about now. Oh, is that right? Okay. He was talking about open theism, Calvinism, and Aramism or something. And that's saying that um, they believe that God is outside of time instead of in time, and that he can't... Um, just different stuff. I was just really kind of confused about it all, the way they were talking. So I don't know if that's just something new. No, that's nothing new. I mean, those are really important points that, that you bring up. So what is open theism? I'll just define that for any of our listeners and for you who might not be sure. Open theism is the kind of the belief that God isn't really sure what's going to happen. That he's that not God, sure? Right, exactly. And so open theism is not a Calvinist position. That's the, kind of the opposite of a Calvinist position. Okay. Calvinists are very heavy on believing in the sovereignty of God, in the election of God. Whereas uh, open theism is basically saying that God doesn't really know what is going to happen and he hasn't determined what is going to happen. And God's kind of, so to say, playing it by ear, you know, like he's and he's kind of caught off guard sometimes. But but not totally, because what an open theist would say is that God knows all of the possibilities or God knows all of the possible outcomes. And so he isn't, so to say, surprised when something happens because he knew that that was a possibility but he didn't determine, he didn't actively take a role in making it happen. Rather, uh, open theism uh, puts a heavy emphasis on on uh, human free will, so to say. Well, how do they believe in incarnation? Well, I would say that both of them believe in incarnation. So they oh. both believe in incarnation, which it means that God took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay. So both of them do that. Now, it's just a matter of, it's really a matter of looking at the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. That's really the big issue between the two. And I would have to say that looking at the Bible, I think that the open theistic view is further from the truth. I mean, in the, I think the idea that God is playing it by ear and that God ha has no idea what's going to happen ultimately in the end. I mean, he, they would say he knows how it's all going to, to wrap up in the end, you know, like in Revelation. But they don't know how it's going to play itself out. Okay. And Calvary Chapel, uh, what denomination is that? So Calvary Chapel is a non-denominational, evangelical, and Protestant church. So those are all kind of, I'll just break those down for you real quick. So Protestant means that they follow the Protestant Reformation, meaning that they're not Roman Catholic. Uh -huh. And so they, they would be in the history of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, these people who were Protestants. Okay. Uh, evangelical means, uh, the word evangelical comes from the word gospel. That uh -huh. means that they're evangelistic, they're about preaching the gospel, they're about celebrating the gospel and loving the gospel. And uh, non-denominational means that they are not part of a denomination, so to say, like Methodism, um, Presbyterianism, anything like that. So the, each church functions as an independent entity, but there is an association of churches. And that's actually how they refer to themselves. Calvary Chapel calls themselves an association of like-minded churches. Oh, okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and God bless you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for calling in. God mm -hmm. bless you. Bye-bye.
You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady on the air with you today, answering your calls and texts, taking your prayer requests and questions about the Bible and about theology, like our last caller had a question about what is Calvinism, what is open theism. love to answer these kind of questions for you on the air. If you'd like to call in, the number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0800. Nine seven. While I've got you here, let me tell you about a resource um, that might be of interest to you. Um, I have a blog. It's kind of a personal website and blog. I write on there. I'm trying to write several times a week, uh, and you can sign up for updates. So I write about topics like the ones that we get a lot of calls about here on Calvary Live. So I write about questions from that people have presented to me from the Bible, or I'll write devotional thoughts, things that I've come uh, to see through my own study and and Bible reading and things like that. And so if you're interested in that resource, I just want to share it with you. The website is nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. So nickkady.org. And you can go on there, scroll through, browse some of the articles on there, and you can also sign up for updates if that's something you're interested in. Let's go ahead and go to line two, where we've got Adrian in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Pastor. How you doing? Doing well. Welcome to the program. Yeah, I was just calling because um, I think it was a couple of days ago I was hearing these gentlemen talking about the rebellion of Satan mm-hmm. in heaven, and that uh, and the pastor that was on that day had made a reference as far as the angels having free will at that time, and then now, like, like now they, like that, now they didn't have free will, and I was kind of confused about that. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering what your take was on that. Well, it's clear that at one time there was the ability in the angels to make a choice to rebel against God or not to rebel against God. I guess it uh, comes down to the question, do an- like as you're asking, do angels have free will? Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to, I'm looking up some stuff right now as I talk to you. And okay. here's where I'm leaning, and we'll, we'll see as I'm, as I'm scrolling through some stuff while well, we talk. Why I got confu- a little bit confused about, about what that day was that the brother was kind of like trying to ask a bunch of questions about like how the rebellion went about and why and and if if Satan could repent and would God be able to forgive him and all that. And the pastor wasn't able to answer a few of his questions. And I had wanted to call to recommend him a, a book from uh, E. G. White. I don't know okay. if you heard about that author. I have. Yeah, she's yeah, the and I, I, I have the, the opportunity to read the Prophets and Patriarchs, and the way that, that uh, I think it's a sister, I believe, she interprets, like, the fall of Satan is, like, really clear, and it just goes down to the emotions that Satan was dealing with in heaven and, like, how everything played out. She just paints a real nice picture as far as how she explains his rebellion, and it's all biblical-based, and I was going to call to recommend that book to him that day, but I got cut off. So okay. if he's hearing me right now, I would recommend him to search out that book and, and read it, and I think he would really enjoy it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the one thing I'm going to say about that, is that I would, I would say 
Let's stick with the, the Bible right now on answering this question, and I'll tell you why. Is because I know that E.G. White, you know, that is the founder of the, uh, or she's at least a leader in the modern day Seventh Day Adventist movement. Oh, and is that what is that where she's? Yeah, see, I'm not too familiar with the author. I just ran across that book and I read it, and it just, it just, um, I really like how she was able to like paint the picture of heaven of how of like just how everybody interprets the bible in their in a way where you know you have a point of view of like there isn't really a clear verse where he says exactly like oh same just decided to do this and all this happened and it just there's only a few verses that talk about that but everybody interprets them in a different way and um when i read that book she kind of just explains the emotions that were going through, like, yeah. Lucifer at that time. You know what I mean? Like, he was just going through some weird emotions as far as wanting to be in Christ's place and wanting to be, a, I guess, up there with the Lord. But when the brother said, um, last, this last few days, he said that the angels, so the angels right now, they don't got free will as far as, like... Okay, so I'm, that's the, the topic present. I want to answer. And I want to okay, answer okay. it, like I said, I'm from sorry. the Bible. And, uh, and like I said, you know what? I totally uh, believe you that Ellen G. White had some great writings on some topics. It's just for me, I have a hard time recommending anybody to read her books because of some of the other things that she said that I think are are issues that I would take issue with because I think they're gospel issues. I think that she gets okay. into quite a big degree of legalism and saying that we are justified before God based on the things that we do, not just on what Christ did. So that's why I can't, I can't go along with recommending Oh, see, and I haven't, I haven't really read any materials besides that book. Sure. And, yeah, I get that. And you know what I mean? And I, I, I honestly believe... I'll tell you what, brother. I'm 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 not of any denomination, but we you got to take what the good and I think the spirit like gives us that gift to discern the good from the bad. Like I believe, like if there's something that like I don't believe that the the because I know brothers that believe about on the Sabbath and they're like all about Saturday and that's when we should worship. And it's like brother to me. Every day is a Saturday to me. I worship the Lord every day. I get up giving the Lord thanks. Not just that's not just a specific day for me. If that's just how you want to choose, that's that's you, brother. I respect you, and that's it. But I could learn things from that, brother. That you know that are yeah. Good. So okay, I'm going to totally agree with you on that point. But I will say this: that I I totally believe, and I'll I'll add to it and say this: that that is actually the definition of Christian maturity. Christian maturity means not just knowing what to think, but knowing how to think. It means Amen. knowing, yeah, it means that you're able to take something and, and spit out the seeds. And obviously, always going back to the Word of the Lord, obviously. Of course. Going back to the Word. Yes. Yeah. So, so, I'm just saying that personally, I, I don't want to go out on the radio right now and recommend that people uh, check out some book that I, I can't agree with the author on. But that's why I say, let's stick with the Bible, and let me answer your question. Uh, your question was whether or not angels have free will. And so here's what I would tell you. There are a few things that we know about the angels. I've got some data in front of me. The Bible mentions angels over 250 times. Um, the word angel, by the way, uh, literally means, in both Hebrew and Greek, it means messenger. So they are messengers from God. And um, Hebrews tells us that they are sent by God to serve those who are elect or those who are saved. 
And so um, here is the, the other thing I tell you on the question, do angels have free will? Angels are spiritual beings, first of all. They have personalities, is what we read about them. That Those personalities include emotions, like we see that in, for example, in the Gospel of Luke. We see that angels expressing emotion. Um, angels being pleased, for example, that's an emotion. Another one is that angels are expressing intelligence, because it says that they look into uh, the things of the Gospel. Uh, and I would say, yes, I do say that angels have wills. And one of the reasons why that I say this is because it talks about angels in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. It talks about them being uh, ensnared by and brought over to and convinced by the devil to do his will. And so I do think that they had, will. and I think like you were saying, the guy who uh, spoke earlier said that angels, you know, at least at one time had free will. The question is whether or not they have free will now. Uh, and here, here's another example. Again, just showing that they did have the ability to choose at one time. Like Second Peter 2 verse 4 says that if God did not spare the angels when they sinned. So angels sinned, and then it says that God uh, cast them into judgment. And so, clearly, they're not only do they have uh, the ability to choose to sin, but when they do sin, they are held responsible for doing so. Okay, Jude chapter 1, verse 6 talks about angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. So, again, that, that shows the ability of angels to choose. Um, here is what I would tell you about them having the ability now. I think that... I think that it means that angels have not actually lost their ability to choose or their free will, so to say. Um, certainly, every creature has to make choices. Here's what's different about angels, though, that they don't, unlike us human beings who have a fallen, broken nature, we have a nature that inclines us towards sin, we don't read any such thing about the angels. So even though they might have the ability to sin, it does not mean that they have the will to sin. And so that would be my answer to your question, is that uh, I do actually think that angels, and I'm just basing this on what I'm reading in the scriptures, is that I do believe that angels have the ability to sin. They have free will, so to say. But the Bible makes it clear that they do not have any desire to sin. And you can imagine if you were in the presence of God, if you were able to see God in his glory, in his majesty, probably you'd have no desire to sin either. And so, and I think there's a point of application there for us, that the more that we look upon, the more that we gaze upon, the more that we fixate upon the glory of God, the more that we see Jesus and fix our eyes on him, as Hebrews always, the book of Hebrews always tells us to do, the more that we fix our eyes on him, the more, the less inclined we will be to sin, even though we have this sin nature inside of us, uh, unlike the angels. So I hope that answered your question. Thank you for your call and the thoughtful discussion. Let's go ahead and go to our next caller. On line three, we've got David in Greeley. Hi, David. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. <clears throat> Last week you had a caller calling about the origins of the KJV Bible. Yes. From the oldest manuscripts and the others from the majority of manuscripts. Can you, can you uh, expound a little bit more on that? Yeah, I actually realized as I was talking last week that I said the exact opposite of what I meant to say. 
And um, and I'm going to try and say it right now because it's uh, you know sometimes hard to speak off the cuff like this. Okay, so it means that we're dealing with two different um, two different when we're looking at uh, let's for, say for example the King James Bible, New King James Bible, uh, meaning translation of the Bible uh, versus like newer translations like the NIV or um, New Living Translation, things like that. The differences between these translations, where sometimes people will be like, oh, well, you know, some of these are leaving out uh, verses, and some of them are uh, including other verses that aren't found in the other one. And the reason is because they are dealing with different, um, different manuscripts. And so this is where, <laughs> see, now as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm wanting to make sure that I don't uh, say the opposite again. Sure. And so one of them is based on the oldest documents, and one of them is based on the majority documents. And I'm trying to remember which one is which right now. So you kind of caught me in the moment. Do you happen to remember? You just said the KJV and the New King James were from the derived from the older com, uh, manuscripts, the oldest. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to remember if I got that right or if I got that backwards. So that's the thing that I said last week, and what I said last week was the exact opposite of what I meant to say. And now this sure, week I'm having that. trouble remembering exactly which one I meant to say. So That's fine. I have my friend Tim here. Do you want to say anything? So I was just curious about it. Maybe is there a website or someplace I can go to uh, get a little more knowledge about that? Yeah, actually, I found what I wanted to say. Here it is, is that uh, I mentioned that uh, modern translations are translated from the majority text, while the King James and New King James are translated from the older manuscripts, and actually the opposite of those is true. So what that means is that the King James and New King James are translated from the majority text, whereas the modern translations are being translated from the older manuscripts. And really it's a question of which of these are more reliable for us to go by. Uh, yeah, let me find you a good um, resource, and I'm going to go ahead and move to another caller, and then what I'm going to do is, during our break, I'm going to find you a good resource online, and then I'm going to mention it here on the air. Does that sound all right? That's fine. Thank you so much. Okay, yeah, thanks for calling in. All right, bye-bye. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. We're coming up on our break in just two minutes from now, and uh, the number to call is 303-690-3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897 this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the bible things that have come up in your bible reading or a prayer request that you might have like i said we're going to answer that previous question which was what's a good resource what's kind of a good outline a good overview of different bible translations for people who want to know about the different spectrum of translations where we got our translations from and what i told that caller is that i'm going to get you one during the break and announce it uh, here on the air after the break. So stick with us over the next couple minutes, and I'll go ahead and do that. In the meantime, let's go to line one, where we've got Amber in Frederick, Colorado. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the program. Amber? Well, it looks like Amber isn't with us, so let's go ahead and go over to our text line real quick. We had a texter write in and ask, are all sins equal to God? Are all sins equal before God? Oh, the answer to that is uh, very easy and brief. The answer is all sins, in one sense, yes, in one sense, no. Here's how I would say it. Uh, quantitatively, all sins are equal in the sense that a sin is a sin is a sin. Quali or quantitatively, 
you know, whatever sin you commit counts as a sin before God. On the other hand, though, qualitatively, there are differences between sins. And clearly, I think this is obvious if we talk about not only the impact of our sins, but even the spiritual impact of our sins between us and God. There are some things which are particularly grievous to God, maybe even more than other things. But as far as you think of maybe in a legal sense of you know, having a certain amount of sins before God versus uh, another sin, if you do one sin versus another sin, a sin is a sin is a sin, meaning quantitatively, sin is sin. But qualitatively, clearly, there are, are different kinds of sins. The Bible, for example, talks about sins that lead to death. So it talks about uh, things like that, things that are, are particularly grievous to God. We read about some of these in the prophetic books, about sins that uh, God takes particular offense with. And so that would be my answer to that. Are all sins equal to God? Well, quantitatively, yes. Qualitatively, no. We're going to be back in two minutes right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hi, and welcome back to the program. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today for Calvary Live. I'm with you every Monday, and you can also hear me on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and every Sunday at 10 a.m. in our program called Life in the Field, where we have sermons from our church that are uh, prepared for the radio. Also, I'd also like to take this moment to invite those of you who live in the Longmont, Colorado area to check us out and join us on Sunday morning for worship. Our church is located at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. That's right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman Streets in downtown Longmont, right on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park in the St. Vrain Memorial Building. We meet at 10 a.m. for Bible study and for worship. And you can also check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. Right before we went to the break, I had said that I would go online and find you guys a good resource for comparing different Bible translations. So I found a really good one that kind of outlines different translations and their target audience. Also kind of outlines the inherent difficulty in any translation. And that difficulty is this. Do you aim to go more word for word or do you aim to go idea by idea? So any of you who speak a second language or a third language, you'll know that this is inherent to translating something. There's more than one way to translate a phrase. Do you try to translate, for example, an idiom by using uh, another idiom in the other language? Or do you try to just go for it word for word and just leave it up to people to figure it out for themselves what that means? And so as also as language changes over time, uh, meaning our language, the, the Bible isn't changing over time, but as our language changes over time, clearly we don't speak the same English that we used to. If you read uh, Shakespeare, you know that. And so there are needs for uh, Bible translations to be updated over time, which has led to kind of a proliferation of different translations, and it can seem like sometimes, I mean, if you read translations on the opposite ends of the spectrum, sometimes they can seem very different. And the thing to remember is that the Word of God is unchanging, 
It's only our translations, us trying to put into our language what the Word of God says so that we can understand it and we can understand what God's intent and guidance is there for us. So here's the website for you to check out. It's mardel.com. That's M-A-R-D-E-L.com slash Bible Translation Guide. So mardel.com slash Bible Translation Guide. And there in there, it kind of explains the difference between word-for-word -word versus thought-by-thought -thought translations. You'll see in there the very word-for-word -word translations like the NASB and the ESV. And then you'll see in there the King James and the New King James and all the way down to things like the, the New Living Bible and the, um, the Living Bible, the Message, things like that, the NIV kind of being uh, towards the middle of those. So hopefully that will help some of those of you out who want to know about different Bible translations. That's mardell.com slash Bible Translation Guide. Let's go back to our call line where we've got Amber on line one in Frederick, Colorado. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the program. Hi, Gunnar. Sorry, I lost my signal earlier and got cut off. Um, but I had a quick question about uh, the Book of Mark, specifically where they were, where Jesus was asked about fasting, and he speaks of the bridegroom. I just got totally thrown off. I mean, when when he's talking about the bridegroom and do his do the other, I I got thrown off. Like, do they fast in front of the bridegroom? I just can you explain that to me a little more? Yeah. Yeah, I think the best way to understand what's going on there is to take it in its context. So to give you the context, let's, uh, op I'm going to open up that passage, and uh, those who are listening can uh, follow along, or you can open up in your Bibles if you are not driving in a car. So here's what it says, a uh, question about fasting. This is in Mark chapter 2, and this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so here's what happens in Jesus' uh, ministry. It says that John's disciples, that means John the Baptist, his disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So to be clear about what fasting is, real quick, uh, you know, fasting is abstaining from food for the purpose of focusing in and having a spiritual focus on God. It's usually always associated with prayer and focus in prayer. And so you're you're uh, also taking control of your body rather than making yourself a slave to your body's demands and needs. You're saying, no, I'm going to say, I'm going to withhold this from my body and I'm going to declare that I am more than just, you know, a person who needs to eat and sleep and do other things. I am a person who needs to relate to God. Sure. So, so anyway, they were fasting. Now, fasting was something that uh, was required in Judaism, but uh, what the the Pharisees would do is that they would fast beyond the requirements of what was required in Judaism. And they took great pride in that. So let's just keep that in mind. It says, people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment. If he does, he, the, the patch tears away uh, from the, the new from the old and worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. The wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. Okay, so basically, here's what Jesus is saying. He's talking about um, this idea of fasting. And his point is that the bridegroom is with them. The bridegroom he's referring to is himself. 
So he's not really, um, I don't, I don't think that he's referring to any particular custom, you know, like that it was forbidden, for example, for people to fast when the bridegroom was present. But I think Jesus is talking about just what people generally do. I mean, you, you don't fast when you go to a party, you know, if you go to a uh, okay. party, you're not going to be fasting. You're going to be celebrating. Gotcha. And so that's the point is that, hey, Jesus is with them. When he's not with them, well, then they, yeah, then they will fast and they will seek him. But here he is. He's right in front of them. You know, now is the time to celebrate and to, to be with him. He is God incarnate come to them. So. Ah, okay. That makes sense. I, th- I thought they were referring to a specific customer, whatnot, but that makes a lot of sense now. Awesome. Thank you for calling. Thank you. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Ray in Greeley, Colorado, with a question. Hi, Ray. Ray. Where are you at? All right, let's go ahead and go to line three where we've got Daniel in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Daniel. Hey, thanks for uh, taking my call. Um, I just only, I mean, I was just calling just to recommend a book on the King James, um, and that would be uh, The King James uh, Controversy by James White. Mm-hmm. He speaks to that to this topic pretty in-depth, so I mean... That's just a book I'd recommend. That's really all I was calling to 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 say. Great. Have you read the book? Yeah, I read it. it I, I haven't read it. I read it a while ago. I have it in my library, but it's a really good book, and I think it speaks to the topic, and especially with uh, different verses being in the Bible for different reasons or whatever. But I think what the King James, if I remember, goes off to Latin, uh, the Vulgate, I think. And if I'm not mistaken, like you have your newer versions, like the NASB and the ESV, they go off more older Greek manuscripts. So, I mean, take it for what it is. But Yeah, my understanding is actually that the King James Bible is not translated from the Vulgate. Uh-oh. Uh, I might have got it wrong. I haven't read it for a while, but uh, I do remember reading the book. And, I mean, it's a really good book. As w- when I became a baby Christian, I guess how put it, um, to find out that there's a whole sect of Christians that think you're not saved unless you read from the King James Bible. It's pretty pretty amazing, but it is what it is. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you for that recommendation. Thanks, Thank man. you for Bye. calling in. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. 3,000. Let's go to line one where we've got Brandon in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. How's it going? Going well. Good, good. Um, Yeah, I just, I had some input, too, on that King James thing as well, just because I kind of know where they're coming from, because I I used to be, like, almost a full-blown uh, King James Version-onlyist person. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I wanted to look at, at both sides of the of the argument on that one, so I actually looked at a great reference for all this stuff, and if anybody wants to know, is uh, Dr. James White, and um, he's gone really, really in-depth on this stuff, the King James Version-onlyist 
controversy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he really helped me out a lot. And um, so, yeah, that's just my input on that one. So right, Yeah. So, yeah, you know what? The previous caller, you might not have heard him, but the previous caller was actually calling also to recommend this book called The King James Only Controversy. So, oh, okay. By yeah. James White. So it sounds to me like you guys are referring to the same thing. Yeah, yeah, and his his book is great, and he does, Dr. James White does debates and stuff like that. He's um, on YouTube that you can watch for the King James Only stuff, so, yeah, it's just it's just one of those weird things that you can really get into if you only look on one side of the spectrum, but, you know, then people don't look on, at the other side, so highly yeah. recommended. Yeah, thank you for calling. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. You bet. God bless you. Bye-bye. You know, I was a missionary in Hungary before I moved here to Colorado. Moved here five years ago, and before that, I was in ten. Year, I was for ten years a missionary in Hungary, and you know, over there, the idea that the King James is the only translation available it kind of doesn't work uh, because uh, King James is an English translation, and so we had to work with the translations which were available, which of course were not always uh, the greatest in every way but um, you know, that's why it is important and, and we have so many resources online where we actually are able to go and refer back to uh, the Greek text or the Hebrew text you know Strong's Concordance I'll give you another reference uh, for those of you um, who can jot it down or, or make note of it mentally the Blue Letter Bible, so blueletterbible.com is a great online resource, totally free, and it has a Greek and Hebrew lexicon in it, so you can go into any passage of the Bible, and you can take that passage and then look at the Greek and Hebrew text, and you can see what those words meant, and it'll give you, you know, several possible translations for each word. It's just a great resource that uh, might help you in your Bible study and your Bible reading and to really understand what is God saying to us through the scriptures. I think it's important to remember that the King James Version is not um, inspired by God, neither is any other uh, version or translation, let's put it that way. No, no translation is per se inspired by God. It is the Word of God in its original form, which was handed down to us, that is the inspired Word of God, and our goal is to understand it. That's what the translations help us do. Because uh, unless you speak ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, in which case you should definitely read those directly. Uh, we had another texter write us in, in the meantime, on this same topic, saying that at Calvary Worship Center down in Colorado Springs, they did a school of ministry class called How Did We Get the Bible? Or, and the, the resource they used was a book also called how Did We Get the Bible by Tracy Summer. So uh, that sounds like a great resource from a great church down there in Colorado Springs. Let's go to some of our other text messages that have come in in the meantime. Here's a great uh, question. It says, Is using birth control against the will of God, or are you allowed to use it until you are in a more suitable position to raise children? That's a, that's a question that's caused a lot of debate uh, historically and even today, uh, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, because the Roman Catholic Church um, has gone very hard on this issue and said that the use of birth control is forbidden except for the purpose of having children. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, birth control is forbidden and the only, uh, well, the people should not have sex unless they intend to have children. They have said that you can practice what's called family planning, which means that you work around the menstrual cycle of your 
uh, of the spouse, the wife, the wife in the relationship, and that uh, based on that, that can be a form of birth control. Um, but they have a good saying uh, in which you say that, uh, what do you call a person who practices family planning? You call them parents, because uh, uh, family planning is notoriously difficult and unreliable as a birth control method. Um, you know, even though that is the official, you know, teaching of the Catholic Church, even today, very many Catholics are not practicing that. And uh, in the meantime, I had another question come in across the text line asking, oh, is, on the other hand, is birth control okay for medical purposes? Uh, my answer to that is going to be yes. And I'll give you a few reasons why I do think it is permissible to use birth control. I don't think, and I'll say this, I don't think that everybody who uses birth control necessarily uses it for a good godly reason. Then on the other hand, I would say that not everybody who uses knives uses them for good godly reasons either. It doesn't mean that we should uh, forbid the use of knives. It means that we should seek to have hearts that have been changed by God and redeemed by God. That is the goal. Uh, if our hearts are wicked, then we will do wicked things even with good materials. Uh, if our if God has redeemed our hearts and we're He's by His Spirit is leading us in His will, I think that there are good uses for some of these things. So, for example, this person asks, "Okay, is it okay to use birth control?" Yes, I'm aware of many married couples who love the Lord and use birth control in their relationship, and the reason is because they are not able to. Uh, well, they're not able to provide for, or perhaps even in some cases, they're not wanting to provide for another child in their family, or even a child at all. Now, is that wrong? Is that selfish? I don't believe it is. And I'll give you one example from the Bible. You see that God created, and for six days God created, and then on the seventh day he rested from creating. He looked at everything he created, and he was good, and it says that he basically expressed that he was satisfied with what he was creating. Now the question is this, could God have gone on creating? Were there more things he could have created? Absolutely. I mean, in some ways, I, I kind of wish he had, right? Like, I'd like to see like a rainbow-colored unicorn. I'd like to see like a hippopotamus crossed with a pterodactyl. You know, I mean, he could have created all kinds of interesting things, but he chose to, at one point, stop creating. And as people who are created in the image of God and also given in a much lesser way the ability to create life through having uh, marital sex and, and, and having that be something through which we can bring life into the world, of course, only with God's will and, and according to what he does, because it's ultimately him who makes all that stuff happen. Uh, yet, just as God rested from creating, I think there's also precedent for us to say, uh, that we will rest from creating as well as human beings and as parents. The other thing that's really important to note in this is that God did not only create sex for the purpose of procreation, but the Bible makes it clear, especially in the Song of Solomon, that God made, uh, God created marital sex for the purpose of pleasure. Now that's something that, for example, when you're talking about uh, where this doctrine came from, that the use of um, birth control or contraception was forbidden uh, by the church at that time. Where does this come from? It Ultimately, if you follow it back like from a philosophical perspective, it comes from uh, what we would call dualism. And dualism is more related to 
like the teachings of Plato, who was a Greek philosopher, and the teachings of the Gnostics, who were Platonists, you know, they're, they're followers of Plato's philosophy. And basically, here's what the Gnostics and what Plato said. They said that what is unseen is inherently good and and spiritual and right and true. And what is seen, meaning this physical world, our physical bodies, is inherently corrupt. And what that means is that they had a very low view of physical pleasure. They believed that physical pleasure was bad and even worse than that, it was it was dangerous because it leads to all kinds of other things. So they, they didn't believe that it was good to have any physical pleasures. And you see that this affected Christianity very much because, you know, Christianity spread in a part of the world where this kind of thinking was very widespread. And so you have these Christians, and this was something that had to be dealt with in the early church and and really, truly has to be dealt with still today. Is it okay to have pleasure? And the answer would be, Yes, but God is not against pleasure. God created pleasure. He created emotion and feelings. On this question we have right here, God created sex to be pleasurable. And so for in but within context, right? And so that's also very important that if certain boundaries are placed around something, it's only within the boundaries of those things that that thing, whatever it is, will operate according to the way it's it's created to operate, that it will operate operate at its ultimate um effect and usefulness. So for example, my car drives really well when I put gasoline in it and I drive it on streets. But if I were to put, um, I don't know, cooking oil into my gas tank and then try to drive my car under a lake, my car would not work very well. So there are certain constraints within which my car works great. And the same thing is true of us as human beings. We were created with a particular design by God. And God says, as long as you stick within these parameters in which I created you to function and work, you're going to work great. And I, and I created you to experience pleasure within these parameters. If you go outside of those parameters, let's talk about, for example, marriage, or sorry, sex outside of marriage, whether that's uh, premarital sex, whether that's extramarital sex, then you are now operating outside of the bounds in which God said this is the this is the the boundaries upon which this is going to work well and you're going to experience joy and fruitfulness in it. When we go outside of that, that's when destruction and breakdown begins to happen. So to answer that question, if you are a married couple, is it okay to use birth control uh, if you're not ready to have kids or even, let's say, if you're not desiring to have kids? My answer is yes. So the show you're listening to is Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady here with you today from Whitefields Community Church. I'm with you every Monday here on Calvary Live, taking your calls and texts on the air. And the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0891. Let's go back to our text line. We have another text message that's come in, which the person asks, how would one go about studying the Bible? Thank you for your time and answering my questions. It's a pleasure to do so. How would one go about studying the Bible? I'll give you two answers to that. One of them is, I want you to study the Bible on your own, but I don't want you to only study the Bible on your own. I want you to get plugged into a good, solid, Bible teaching church. 
And, uh, I, you know, I can recommend some churches if there's any of you who want to call or text in if you're in a certain area, especially here in Colorado. I know many churches. I'd be happy to recommend a church for you. Uh, also, I know that Calvary Aurora has a great resource on their website, which is kind of a church finder website or church finder thing, which lists different cities in Colorado and, and recommended or partner churches that Calvary Aurora has. And I would also recommend calvarychapel.com. If you go, maybe some of you are listening outside of this local area uh, here in Colorado or on the East Coast, you can go on to calvarychapel.com and you can find uh, Calvary Chapel affiliated churches and like-minded churches on calvarychapel.com in your particular area. But I say that to say this, I think that it is important that both of these aspects exist. We must study the Bible, first of all, individually, but we must not only study the Bible individually. I believe that we should study the Bible uh, with other people. And that keeps us, that gives us a sense of accountability. I think God, it, you know, it makes it very clear. Ephesians chapter 4, God says that he has appointed certain people to the role of teacher in the church for the building up of the body of Christ to the full stature of, of Christ and so that they will not be like little children beaten to and fro by the waves of every doctrine, every idea that comes around. Uh, but that we will be stable and secure and built up. And so this is God's design for us as believers, is that we would be in a place where he has, where, where we are under the good, solid Bible teaching of a church that is pursuing him, people who are called to do this by him, and um, and that we would do it in community with other people. I really believe that the Christianity is not a solo endeavor. And if you look at a lot of the, um, you know, bad teachings and things that have come along in recent times, um, a lot of them come out of a situation in which somebody is studying or reading the Bible apart from committed Christian community. And so those are the two things I would do. So how do you go about studying the Bible? Number one, get a Bible. Number two, start reading it. I think... Um, I would not personally recommend someone who has not read the Bible before to start at the very beginning of the Bible. I would recommend them to start, go to the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of John. Start with the life of Jesus. And the reason I say that is because that's not leaving out what's in the Old Testament uh, and what comes before the Gospels. In fact, very much of what comes before that is explained and put in context. And then I would say, once you've done that, read through the New Testament and then go back and read the Old Testament because I believe it's only in light of Jesus that you can fully understand the entirety of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So go get a Bible, number one. Start reading it. I recommend you start reading in the New Testament, in the Gospels, then read the book of Acts, and then read some of the letters. Actually, I'd say you can read all the letters. Some of them, if you, if you sit down, you can actually read them very quickly. And then I would say read through the whole New Testament and then go back and read the Old Testament. Also be in a good Bible teaching church. And I think that this radio station is a wonderful resource of Bible teaching. So I'd recommend you to tune in to Grace FM and listen to the Bible studies. Uh, a lot of times when you hear someone teach the Bible studies here on Grace FM, it also gives you... Um, it teaches you how to read the Bible for yourself as you hear how they come to the conclusions that they come to as they read the text verse by verse. That also teaches you how to make those connections and conclusions as you read the Bible for yourself. So I appreciate the question and uh, I just want to encourage you to read the Bible and to study it and get in a good Bible study teaching church. You know, on that topic of Bible translation that we were talking about earlier in the show, I've heard it said that the very best Bible translation 
uh, is the one that you will read. Now, I, I realize that that may not be always the, the best answer, but I will say this. If you're going, it, it'd be better for you to read the Bible than to not read the Bible because you weren't sure about a translation. So that's my uh, answer. Thank you for your text message. Let's see, we have another text message. We're coming up on the end of the show here right now. Two minutes left. And uh, we have someone who's writing in to say that they're so thankful for their Calvary Chapel uh, Church in Westminster and the teachings that they've been listening to here on Grace FM. And they just want to say thank you and praise him. All right, thank you for that um, that message. We join you in praising the Lord for what he's doing uh, in your church and in your life. We have one prayer request that was also texted in. It says, uh, Dear Pastor Nick, could you please pray for me to stay steadfast on God's word and promises as I go through certain challenges? Absolutely. Let's do that here at the end of the show. Heavenly Father, as a community of people who've been seeking you today through this program, talking about your word and talking about what it says and what it means for our lives, we together in agreement uh, pray for this person who has written in, this dear person who's uh, obviously going through certain challenges. Lord, we pray that you would encourage this person and during this time of difficulty. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen this person, help them to be steadfast. And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, not only would you strengthen them and encourage them, but Lord, that you would remind them of your promises. And Lord, that they would understand that your promises and your oath are stronger than any feelings which they might be having right now. Lord, I thank you that your word uh, tells us that following Jesus doesn't necessarily insulate us from having problems in our lives, but it certainly gives us an anchor for our soul that keeps us grounded in you. Thank you for your finished work. May we be grounded in that. We pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This has been Pastor Nick Cady. I'll be back with you next Monday and every weekday at 2.30. You can check us out and you can check me out online at whitefieldschurch.com. God bless you. Tune in again next time for Calvary Live. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.